So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. If you would have told me that 15 years after one of the most iconic scenes reality television has ever seen, which is season two, episode one of The Hills, when the teen Vogue West Coast editor, Lisa Love, says to Whitney about Lauren, she will always be known as the girl who didn't go to Paris, <laughs> would then be resurfaced by Robert, aka Danielle's boyfriend, on Summer House in 2022, talking about Danielle going to Charleston for his job. This is no, this is what dreams are made of. You guys, do you realize? Like, and just to take it a step further, obviously, in this particular conversation, he's talking about Danielle going to Charleston with him. However, they're having the conversation with Paige because she obviously has taken a liking to Charleston because of Craig. And how is that all connected, you may ask? Because the Kristen Cavallari, Lauren Conrad, Hills Laguna Beach connection. I mean, no notes, zero fucking notes. I can't believe Danielle didn't just turn to him in that very moment and say, marry me. Because that's what I was feeling. I was like, oh my God, anyone I ever date will never hold a candle to this. I already thought Robert was so cute and great and had all these amazing qualities. And then you're going to fucking quote Lisa Love? I was going to say, you know, I've dated some guys that I definitely think, you know, are in touch with some pop culture references. They can hold their own. Nobody is referencing Lisa Love. No, it's just no, not no. happening. That yeah. is a reference that we would make and be like, wow, good reference. And we are pop culture experts. Like we do this as a job. Oh, wow. Robert at a left field. That was hands down my favorite Bravo moment of the entire week. And uh, if there was an award we sent out weekly, I would send it to him. I was going to say he deserves the mazel of the week on Watch What Happens Live because if you understand the cultural impact of that, that is just a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Really? Also, where in the world is Jason Waller? That's the real question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so obviously today we are just doing Summer House in Jersey because last week's episode we recorded on Friday, so we already did last week's OC. In terms of other things going on, I mean, I would say the most significant drama is between Garcelle and Erica this week because obviously Erica posted a story of Garcelle's book in her trash. And actually tonight, as we are recording this, she's on a Twitter rampage kind of going against Garcelle. Yeah. I looked a little bit and then I think I got bored because it felt performative. Yeah. I think the whole thing is very performative and I feel like it ended up backfiring because first... Garcelle posted the clip of her that we see in the trailer saying, I don't need to make you look bad. You do a good enough job 
doing that yourself. And she made a joke out of it. She didn't say anything specific about Erica. She said, you know, don't make a fool out of yourself. Go order my book. Ha ha. Like that to me is very standard housewives practice and feels honestly like a cute clickbaity post to do. And Crystal commented like, oh, you have some big balls or like I I could die. And Sutton was supporting her in the same way. Then that's when Erica takes the video of her taking Garcelle's brand new book, putting it in her trash can, and the Oscar the Grouch gif on the bottom. It was just bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, she really thought she was doing something there, you know? Right. And I mean, listen, I'm not trying to come down too hard on Erica. Generally speaking, I'm here for these little petty drags that Bravo stars do. I think that as a Bravo celebrity, you have a rare pass to kind of be petty on social media and everybody just takes it at face value. It's not that big of a deal. However, this just felt tasteless. It felt tasteless. And like I said, I think she really felt like she was making a point and showing like, oh, I hate Garcelle. We'll clearly see how we get to this point on the next season. But out of context, knowing what we know right now, which is very, very minimal, it was like, okay, Erica, like, come on. We already are really like doubting you and have a lot of things sort of against you. This feels unnecessary, especially going against someone like Garcelle, who is really sort of a fan favorite and hasn't wronged us as an audience yet, at least. Well, yeah. I mean, remember how last week we were saying that obviously we don't really know what's going on. We only saw the trailer. But one thing that we can pick up just strictly energetically is that Garcelle does not seem to be at all intimidated by Erica. And that's unique for Erica. And I just think she doesn't know how to respond to Garcelle's strength. I genuinely think that she is so accustomed to communicating with people in a certain way that when someone stands up to her, it's almost like a a malfunction in, in her brain. Right. That's why I said, you know, I don't know whose side we'll end up being on, but just to have Garcelle there to push back on Erica, creating a new dynamic that we really haven't had because everyone is seemingly so afraid of her or also just doesn't want to go against her is something we really needed and will add a whole new layer to whatever the hell is going on. Yeah. (laughs) Emphasis on whatever the hell is going on. (laughs) Well, honestly, though, I feel like we're not giving enough credit to Sutton in this because last season she did go up against her, but she was doing it more from like a fact-based perspective and like trying to cover her own ass. And I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be different with Garcelle. I don't know why and I don't know what, but I'm excited to see. No, listen, you're right. The credit where credit is due. Sutton definitely... I would say carried it for the rest of the women in terms of standing up to Erica, but it was in a very different way. And also, and not that this is her fault, I understand why she was like this. The fear was palpable. She was doing it, but she was fucking terrified. Yes. And I think that is one of the biggest differences that you're picking up on. This is not an act for Garcelle. She doesn't have to summon up the courage. She's like, you? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. I really want to talk about Summer House. Oh my God. Really good episode. One of my favorite yet, hands down. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And 
I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candles, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I have to say something, and I think this is a good way to start us off. Tell me. So if you've been on this journey with me, I am re-watching every Bravo show, and I am currently in my Vanderpump Rules era. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on season five. It's going amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. Just excellent television all around. And the episode that I was on last night, right before bed, was the Vanderpump Rules Summer House crossover episode, where it like bleeds one into the other. And it is when Stasi is trying really hard to flirt with Kyle and they're in the hot tub together. He calls her Steve Jobs, can't remember her name. She sort of flips out on him like that is just not how you treat a woman. And he is just his classic drunken self and doesn't really even realize what he's done. And to watch that episode and then the next day watch Kyle now with Amanda figuring out this wedding stuff, but also still having that same core drunken Kyle-ness was the most incredible contrast. And it has showed how much he has changed, but also how really deep down he is the exact fucking same person. Wow. First of all, I think that's a very unique experience that you had watching that scene the same week as this episode. So in general, I think that that's a phenomenal perspective you're bringing to the table. Thank you. I second of all want to say, we we have to do an official ranking. I, I am in no position right now to pick more off the top of my head, but I would say just off the cuff, hands down top 10 cringiest Bravo moments of all time. It, it was definitely up there. Even seeing a young Carl, it was a really incredible experience, and I recommend it very highly. 
I have to find which account posted it and I will, and I'll put it in the description. But did you see someone did a side-by-side of Kyle saying his favorite part of Amanda was her vagina and then it cuts to Brooke saying that about Vicky? (laughs) (laughs) Shannon asking him and him saying hands down. And I was like, oh my God. And the caption was literally like, please be clear. I'm not drawing any parallels between Kyle and Brooks, but I I could not avoid these two cinematic parallels. That is an amazing cinematic parallel. Yeah. First things first, I just want to acknowledge Maya's kind of evolution throughout this season. And I know we didn't see too much of her and Oliver, and I wouldn't say that the night actually ended up going swimmingly. However, we do know that they're seemingly still together. He just came with her for her recent Watch What Happens appearance. So it's just fun to to kind of watch her in this element and to see her get back in touch with the side of herself. I think we said this much earlier on, maybe in the first couple of episodes, but how hard it is to be at the period in her life where she's figuring herself out, really coming out of her shell, but also to do it on TV where I do feel like she is very, very aware of like all of the people watching her, not even just the other people in the house, but the audience. And that is a really scary, intimidating feeling. Like this is her first season and she's also going through this huge transformative period of her life. It's a lot happening at once, but I do think it's all pushing her in such an incredible direction. And you can feel how close she has gotten to the girls, specifically Sierra and Paige. Like they really feel like a trio. She just fit right in with them. But this little moment she had with Lindsay because Lindsay was seeing Oliver's friend sort of brought them together. So I was also happy to see that for her because I think even though it didn't matter, having like a little partner buddy in this kind of awkward potential situation where they're coming to the beach really gave her some comfort. For sure. But then it was interesting because when they are actually on the beach, she quickly realizes that they're flirtation style is just so different. Like I think in general, Lindsay has a, you know, Lindsay just has a more forceful personality. There's nothing wrong with it, but I've, I've been in that situation where you, you're not comparing yourself to the way the other people are interacting. You're more so observing it. And it takes a lot of, I would say, confidence in your own behavior to not feel like you have to follow the lead of the couple that's being slightly more passionate. Does that make sense? Right. Like she turns to Oliver at one point and is like, oh, I think they're in love. And they're just sitting there like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, you know, I guess we'll just sit here and watch Lindsay while we kind of just chill and hang out. Right. That's just not her. And that's just not the way Lindsay would do it. So I, I appreciated that they were able to watch one another interact differently and not feel like they had to take cues because a lot of times in those scenarios, I think it can get slightly awkward. Well, that's what's funny is like, they're all so on the same page. The boys are coming. Let's get drinks. I can't wait. What did he say? What did he say? And as soon as they get there, they completely went in different directions. Totally. And we'll see how that progresses in a moment. But the conversation between Kyle and Carl, I was thrilled to hear that Carl made the official decision to end it with Mackenzie, not because I didn't think she was a great girl, but because he wasn't fully in it. It wasn't fair to either of them. It was really clear when he was talking to Kyle that it had a little less to do with actual Mackenzie than it did with just where he is in his life, feeling ready to date if he's ready to have that kind of distraction. And then on top of it, he was like, you know, I wasn't necessarily feeling her. It didn't feel like risking everything I've worked so hard for to make this relationship work or put it on the back burner. It's just not right now. And I was just, I don't know, him, that self-awareness and also having that discussion with Kyle and Kyle feeling so supportive and actually very mature in that moment was just something I was really glad to see. And I felt like, 
okay, Carl, like you've such a good head on your shoulders. We always knew that. But when he says things like this, I'm like, I am so proud of you. I know this isn't the point of what we're talking about, but I will say that I think Carl is the best thing for Kyle in terms of his image because Kyle's most authentic and least guarded self and honestly potentially most mature self, I would say, comes out in his conversations with Carl. And perhaps that comes from the fact that he really respects him so much and almost looks up to him in terms of some qualities he would like to have in himself. And so I just, I appreciate these conversations because I really do think it's Kyle at his best. Yeah. And it also makes you remember like, okay, this is why Amanda's marrying him and why Carl keeps him around and how he can run a business because we're only seeing a highlight reel of them on the weekends. And of course, it's way more interesting to keep in drunk Kyle yelling and making a scene than it is to like him being mature and having conversations with business and friends that we don't get to see that all the time. So I was kind of like, I'm so happy that they showed us this because we needed a little like nudge reminder of why we love Kyle and we'll get it before the wedding. So now I'm feeling like a little more warm and fuzzy towards him. Yeah. Although next week it looks like, <laughs> I know, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is something I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on because I just watched this episode like two hours ago, so we've not spoken about it at all. When they're sitting down before Oliver and Ahmed come over, I know we're kind of all over the place in terms of order, but that's fine. And Sarah starts to get a little bit upset as she is witnessing Lindsay's excitement, I guess you could say. And she's feeling like, last week, you were telling me that you like Austin. So now you're so excited about this guy. And I think she feels like it totally invalidated everything that Lindsay was saying previously. I have no idea your stance. I have no idea anyone else's stance. Personally, for me, I feel like throughout this entire season, I have been more on Sierra's side than most people. This particular moment, I was like, you lost me. It's not a fair argument. Lindsay's feelings towards this new guy have absolutely nothing to do with what she said about Austin. I understand like internally being a little bit pissed. You can't control your emotional reaction, of course, but I don't think that it's fair that she should then get punished for that specifically publicly. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I think like technically it probably wasn't right. But then when I put myself in Sierra's shoes, it's like, wait a minute, you just like basically started a whole fight with me and made such a big deal about how you like Austin, have feelings for Austin. But this is a clear representation of what they sort of get to later, which is Lindsay quote, likes so many people. And I think Sierra started feeling like, well, this isn't fair because I like one person and I have a lot of feelings and thoughts and heart going into this one person. But for you, it almost feels like just another one on the roster. And I don't think it's true because I think Lindsay and Austin do have some separate, different, deeper relationship than she does with sort of these like flings. But I get it. I think Sierra just overall is really pissed at Lindsay. She could do no right. So this on top of that maybe was just salt in the wound, but I don't think Lindsay did anything wrong. She's not engaged to Austin. She's allowed to have feelings for him and maybe eventually want to explore something deeper. Obviously she doesn't, but she also can have this guy who come like it has nothing to do with Sierra and it's not personal to her at all. But Sierra sitting there marinating in her feelings. I do get that. She's just like down. Right. She's down. And you're allowed to be down. No one's telling you that you have to move on from this internally. But I'm just saying, I felt that she was weaponizing Lindsay's sexual exploration and flirtatiousness against her as a way to almost prove the Austin point. And it wasn't adding up to me. It's like, I understand how you got there in your head, but I don't think that it's fair to put that on someone else. And I actually, 
generally speaking, and I really don't believe this was the intention, but I felt that throughout this episode, there were moments of uh, slut shaming, maybe the wrong term, but moments of potential regression in terms of the way that we were talking about women's sex lives. And you know, I'm hypersensitive to that. So like, maybe I'm, I'm a little off, but it just, I don't know. It was like, I think you guys are all kind of choosing the wrong battle here. Yeah. Well, we can get into this, I guess now, because why not? When Amanda was trying to deliver this whole thing about like, you've been diving in deep with so many people. I think she really truly wasn't meaning to make it a slut shaming thing. I think she actually had these intention of saying, hook up with who you want, do what you want, but I know you and I am concerned about sort of how you're handling things and maybe why and what has gone on previously that I just want to check on you as a friend. But the concern here is not how many people Lindsay's seeing or what she's doing. It was more from like a mental health check-in of like, how are you? Where are you? How are you dealing with things? I know you and I know your patterns of behavior. And this just doesn't seem like what I've seen from you in the past. And this maybe could be negative, but it didn't need to turn into that. And I think having Sierra involved in that conversation in any way sort of made it way more of a negative thing. And you could feel Danielle getting aware of like, okay, where is this conversation going and what direction is it going in? Where Sierra's feelings that we just spoke about are of course valid. Anything she feels is valid. It didn't need to be something said out loud or said to Lindsay. Fine. If you want to say to Paige later when you're laying in bed, like I'm just annoyed with Lindsay. Now she's another guy after all that. Fine. But it didn't actually need to be brought to the table. Okay, let's let's really break this down because Amanda, like you said, is the one that brings up this conversation. And immediately, once she sees the way that it turns, she feels really bad. You see, she gets up, she kind of starts crying. I mean, that's the empath in her just feeling overwhelmed that she kind of caused this emotional turmoil. Wouldn't be an but, episode if Emma didn't talk about Amanda being an empath. No, it, it absolutely would not. But my thing is like, I think that when they were having the conversation to the side, just the two of them, and she said to her, it's not about how many people you're with. It's the fact that I feel you are giving your heart to so many people. And Lindsay came back and said, you know, this is me. I just dive in, right? That part of the conversation was the only thing in this entire scene that I actually thought had some value to it. Amanda lost me. And again, this was not her intention, but Amanda lost me entirely the second she brought that up in front of the entire table. That was wrong. She didn't mean for it to be wrong. And she realized quickly that it was wrong. But you cannot expect to have this conversation with Lindsay when Sierra is sitting there and she has her own personal motives that she expressed last night about this exact subject. It it, it was a total hit on Amanda's ethos and she wasn't thinking clearly enough. And like if you're watching it and you're trying to think of it strategically, it's very frustrating. And also, by the way, not that I feel Lindsay needs the defense. I think she can handle herself quite well. And Danielle backed her up. I, I felt for Lindsay in this moment. And I wouldn't say my natural inclination is typically to feel for Lindsay because I sometimes feel that she's on the offense. I felt for her. I think that people maybe had good intentions, but they were coming at it in a way that felt it felt like an attack. I think Amanda's intentions were very pure in that she was just maybe worried about Lindsay, like we said, and she wanted to check in on her and be like, is this okay? Is there something deeper going on? But her timing of bringing it up with other people around and also with the context of the conversation, like she picked a really bad point to lead in. It was just wrong. Like, I don't think checking in on your friend is wrong, but the way she did it and it was received was obviously just a miss. 
I think it's just in general, if you are going to make these two points, even if they're separate, but you want to make some sort of association between like you're sleeping with a lot of people and we think there may be something going on with you, you need to make that separation incredibly clear. Oh, you and need to put a week between them. That's what I'm saying. And not one person did a good enough job of making that separation. So of course the audience is going to view it as slightly slut shaming because that's how it came across regardless of intention, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so many things here. What do you think about the conversation between Paige and Andrea? Because I I don't think Andrea did anything wrong. I don't either. I get, though, from Paige's side, she's like, wait a minute. You have been almost making it all summer. Like, if I say yes to you, you will, like, make me your girlfriend and we'll run away and be happy happily ever after. So I think that realization that, oh, wait a second, there was someone else that he was feeling and maybe he was just putting it on me as a backup. Like I think she was processing it in real time and also in front of everyone. Again, happy that they had this conversation in front of the cameras and everyone because it's great for us as viewers, but also felt like something very, very intimate that didn't need to be like a group discussion. But you're right. I don't think Andrea did anything wrong. And by the way, that's not to say that Paige wasn't sort of leading him on this whole summer while knowing pretty well that she was going to maybe end up with Craig. She was only second guessing it when she was back with Andrea, but they had a whole thing going on long before she got there this summer. So it's really hard to say, but I think overall she would probably look back at this and be like, I was just a little bit shocked and taken aback in this moment because the situation was not as I had been viewing it and analyzing it this whole time. Right. I mean, let's call it like it is. What was happening in this moment is that Paige's ego got momentarily bruised, very human reaction, and she responded. Whereas, obviously, we can all look at this logically and be like, wait a second, you ended up finding the guy that you're most likely going to marry. You are head over heels. It doesn't really matter if Andre made you second guess it because you ended up choosing Craig anyway. It's not like he ruined the entire trajectory of your relationship and now he's saying this. So it's all it's it's all water under the bridge at this point. But I think what was happening is that in the moment she just her ego was a little bit bruised and she kind of spoke on that. But I genuinely think in retrospect she could look back and be like, yeah, I, he he did nothing wrong. Yeah, I agree. We'll get into the bus in a second, but anytime anyone on these shows mentions Dumois, it just does something to me. Between Kim Kardashian saying she stalks Dumois on her Finsta on Not Skinny Not Fats podcast, and then for the probably eighth time this season, Paige bringing up Dumois on Summer House, I mean, what a day for Dumois. It's funny because Dumois has literally been a guiding part of Paige's relationship in a crazy way because She's getting information almost about like Craig's ex and what's going on with her from them. It's like when you date someone's friend's friend and you're like, can you check their, like, what is, what's on their Instagram story right now? Like, are they away or are they with another guy? Like, are they with another girl? That is what's happening, except it's like the modern day press. Right. And it's Kristen Cavallari and allegedly <laughs> Chase Rice. I mean, the country singer she was talking about was Chase Rice. I remember those rumors vividly. Yeah. This bus ride was a lot of fun. This is them turning up in the best way possible. This is what I signed up for. Like, you need these moments. We've had a lot of heavy drama and, like, life things, which is obviously fine. We like to see their growing pains. But this is like, oh, my God, finally. This is why you guys drive out there. This is why you film the show. And this is what makes it worth it, to me at least. And I think they probably felt the same way, too. 
bold of Alex to ask Sierra, knowing that their teeth touched, and kind of Sierra to drink instead of answering in terms of who is a better kisser. You know what I mean? Not that technically Carl is better, but you watched it happen. Their makeout was just a better makeout. The other one was rushed, and like she said, their teeth clanked. Bold of Andrea to stand up and ask Paige, who has the biggest dick you've been with? And Paige, without literally missing a beat, says Andrea. I loved that moment. I loved that moment. Honestly, though, you know Craig would probably say, yeah, definitely Andrea. He would be okay with that and embrace it and give Andrea the props that he deserves. Let me tell you something, though. Do you know how big of a dick you have to have to ask (laughs) that? No, to ask that question on camera so confidently because you know there is no world that that's not going to be her answer. It almost feels as though she said that to him privately. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He knew the answer or he was just so confident that it didn't even matter. Right, exactly. So either way, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Either way, noted. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. And also, I'm pretty sure Paige is like hooked up with an an NHL player or something. So that is really give it up for Andrea. Every week, another point in my book. I fucking love him. It's high praise. And me and you, as well. I don't know if we ever said this, but when we went to the summer house premiere, not that the premiere, but like the premiere party that was at that bar in the Lower East Side, remember? Mm-hmm. Everyone, months ago. And we saw him and obviously he was so handsome, but we were like, eh, he's kind of a pretty boy. We, we didn't have high expectations. We thought that he was almost just like another pretty face of the Bravo cast. And little did we know the depth. And I honestly feel like the quality that he was going to bring to the show. No, he is just a gem. And I get a bigger crush on him as the weeks go on. Wait, what about when Amanda asked Lindsay, did you see a future with Carl? Like, did you see yourself marrying him? (gasps) And she starts to say that's a very delicate situation. And then she drinks. And they're like, you don't have to answer. Like, you can drink. And she fucking drinks. And they make eye contact like they knew something was up. And there was conversations that we don't know, but we are going to find out. Okay. I need everybody's opinion on this. In the preview for next week, we see Carl and Lindsay sitting at the kitchen table, and he says something about being surprised to not see her bed or to see her bed. It was I, I didn't really or understand like he didn't what was wake happening. up in her bed. I don't know exactly what he said, but like I mean, I don't know why I'm asking as if we're not going to see it in six days, but still, <laughs> like, can people just tell me your reactions, your thoughts to that? Like, is this as fun for you to watch unfold as it is for me? Even though I don't know exactly what he said, and we probably could watch it a hundred more times to figure it out. I know that that is the sprinkle of like, okay, we're about to get this Carl and Lindsay ball rolling. Like, even if you watch that little second on mute, there's a different energy and it totally feels like we are getting into the Carl and Lindsay relationship beginning conversations now. And I am so excited because like uh, even when there's like a moment at the winery where Carl says to Lindsay, like, Lindsay, are you okay? And I think someone says like, well, what about Andrea? What about Paige? And and Carl's like, Lindsay's my best friend. And he keeps saying like, oh, good job, hubs, when she throws like the cornhole. And I'm like, you guys are so best friends. To see this transition is going to be a wild experience because it doesn't feel like Courtney and Travis to me anymore. It actually feels like a little bit like siblings, but they've been there before. So it's not weird. Like they're just going back to where they were eventually in the past. It's just, God, it fucking fascinates me. It really, really fascinates me. And I do wonder how much of I'm trying to think of the way that I want to phrase this, but potentially how much of Carl's sobriety factored into this entire relationship in the sense of, I think that 
remaining sober in the way that he has, has allowed him to have a lot more clarity in a lot of things. I mean, those are his words, not mine. And so I just wonder if like there was a moment that the perspective kind of shifted or if he kind of had been thinking about it. You know, like we said in the conversation with his mom last week, she made a reference about that. So I don't know. Right. And also like how both of them maybe came to the realization of what they were looking for in their relationships separately was maybe not what they thought. And that comfort and closeness and friendship was really priority and it had been there all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Well, I can't I wait to see, see I can't wait to see Amanda and Kyle's wedding. In a way that I can't even explain. <laughs> Anything else from this episode that you wanted to mention? I mean, I know we got Paige saying that she would move to Charleston with Craig any second, which was kind of a big deal. I don't know. It just was a really fun, happy episode. Next weekend's the last weekend. It looks amazing again. And then we got Amanda and Kyle's wedding. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. Okay, let's go to Jersey. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. During the aftermath of this fight at the dinner table in Nashville, 
As soon as Margaret stood up and I saw that her white long dress was covered in red wine, I immediately snapped back to our conversation from last week in thinking, who is going to pick up that dry cleaning bill? (laughs) Me too. And you want to know something? I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably also had that thought because the response (laughs) we got to that conversation last week was so validating. People were like, yes, I have wondered that also. And it made me just feel so seen. And a lot of really good theories. I am going to try and get the actual official answer to this. So (laughs) stay tuned. We really have pressing journalism going on over here. Yeah, absolutely. Also, someone messaged and was like, by the way, I mean, the jumbo caviar Chanel is way up from five grand. I was like, I know. I just (laughs) said the number that came off the top of my head. (laughs) Okay, listen. You know, obviously, because you know my life, that this has been a very emotional week for me. So I acknowledge that with what I'm about to say. However, watching the Judice girls move out of this house, I am not exaggerating when I tell you I was bawling. Like not inconsolable, but there were about two minutes there where tears were just streaming down my face. Okay. um, You know, if anything is going to get me at this particular moment in my life, it is moving out of your childhood home. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but we are moving out of our childhood home after 25 years. Oh God, I'm literally going to cry. And I'm like in fucking therapy over it. So seeing them who clearly feel like such a similar way, and then they're rolling the tape of all of the moments they've had in their house. And I see Teresa closing the door for the last time. That is such a sad moment. The fact that I feel so sentimental and attached to their house and I'm crying watching them leave. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go this with my own house. I've never even been to the Judice's house. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I was obviously thinking about you throughout that entire thing because I know how emotional this whole time has been for you. But it's like on top of that, it's really just, you know, remove any of this from the equation. It's really a comment on the level of connection that we can feel. Forget about to just these reality stars, but to their homes and to their belongings. You know, you really feel so connected and it's unbelievable the way that you can just establish those feelings through a TV screen. No, it's incredible. But I also have to say, shockingly, I felt really happy because this was such a symbol of Teresa moving on from a really hard, dark, long period of her life. Like, yes, that house had so many beautiful memories and it was where the show was filmed and she, her parents lived with her, but it's also where everything went down with Joe and she left and came home from prison and she lost both of her parents. And, you know, it's just like there's a lot. Like, if those walls could talk, God, they fucking know shit. So to now see her close the chapter and her daughters, although sad, did feel really supportive. And you could feel the energy when they came to the new house, which, by the way, not a downgrade by any means. The, their happiness and also, Lou, I have to say, I, I know I'm all over the place. Louie in the scene where they arrive at the house and they're all sort of like, okay, this is our house together. And he reveals the stone for her parents. Those five minutes alone really added a lot of positive points in my book for him. I am so conflicted on this Louis situation. I know. The way that I feel is like every rational part of my brain, like the part of my brain that I would consider maybe the more intelligent or more like level-headed one is like, there are some serious red flags with this guy. There's a reason that there's so much conversation around his name. You know, I'm not of the belief that 
quote, all exes are crazy. No, I mean, I think that when there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that Teresa's fierce defensiveness is also slightly concerning, right? So like, I know all of that. However, I see some of these moments and I get why she is feeling so in love with him because he really goes above and beyond to make her feel so special. And uh, you know, on top of that, like you said, to make her girls feel so special and so comfortable. And that's honestly Teresa's love language. I mean, she loves those kids more than anything in the entire world. So the fact that he's taken them in like as his own, I can't, I can't lie and say that I, while having concerns about him, can't acknowledge him for that sort of positivity. Yeah. I just feel like moving in and blending your families is such an art that a lot of people really can't master or don't really know the right thing to do, especially with four teenage girls. Like that is no easy feat. So for him to sort of feel, I, I don't know, we're only seeing a couple minutes, but from my perspective, like he really was nailing it and making them feel so excited that this is our house together. You each have your rooms. I want to make your mom happy putting in the stone and just being so like warm to them and you could feel the warmth back that they feel to him. I I don't know. But you're right. I get why Teresa is so happy and I think he does these things because he really loves her. Yeah, it's it's definitely a complex situation. His son though seems like a, a total gentleman. I absolutely Yeah. Yeah. And also, by the way, of course the, the kids are sentimental, but if you're Gabriella, you're walking into that massive room. I think it, it takes away the sadness very quickly. <laughs> totally. Right? And Milani, I saw that vanity. Oh, yeah. No, she had like the full glamour lights the YouTubers have. Yeah, of course. Okay. So I really want to talk about this dinner. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliayi was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. There was like these three seconds where Teresa and everyone in the room 
stand still before she pushes all the glasses and drinks in Margaret's direction that you literally feel the wheels turning. And I usually think with Teresa, but all with everybody, it's such like a quick reaction. So this almost took her a minute of like, do I go left or do I go right? I mean, let's call it like it is. Obviously, as far as television is concerned, it's great TV. I could watch Teresa push glasses all day, especially in a Tennessee bar. However, it's ridiculous at this point. You're allowed to feel whatever way you want about Margaret. She's not your cup of tea? Fine. Does she do shitty things at times? Yes. The way that Teresa has gone so aggressively against Margaret for even just the slight questions regarding Louis, considering the fact that there is a lot of press and drama around his name, is so unwarranted. It's almost embarrassing how unwarranted it is. And it made me lose respect for Teresa, really. It did, because I get when she has these moments when it's something that is like real. But even Gibson Johns tweeted tonight, Teresa just made up her theory about Margaret feeding details about Louis to the blogs out of thin air, dot, dot, dot. This is a theory she came up with, I don't know, maybe the hour or the day before, and now has progressed in such a short time to her throwing things across the table. Like At least when she flipped the table at Danielle Staub, it was months of shit going down. This was like within one minute, she just made up her mind and said, Margaret is the source and I can take all my anger about what's going on and the rumors and shit that people talk about him out on one person and it all boils down to her. Which, by the way, even if it did, she is like not the only one talking shit. She's not the one who did these things. She's not the exes who leaked these things. Like there's so many more players involved here. There's no facts behind this. She didn't even have a conversation with Margaret about it. She sort of just made up her mind and said, she's the culprit. She's causing all this pain in my life towards my boyfriend, who I am severely, fiercely protective over. And I'm going to make it my mission to make her life miserable. Yeah, it was just wrong. It, I really think no matter whose side you're on, even if you cannot stand Margaret, even if you are a diehard Teresa fan, you would acknowledge that this was just not it. And I mean, don't get me wrong. She was heated before, but it was the line that Margaret said of, you're lucky you're still not on parole. Oh. Yeah. That's what was it. Anytime somebody mentions anything regarding jail in the context of a fight, that's when she goes off. And that I get. And I listen, if I'm Margaret and I just had multiple drinks thrown at me, I understand that I'm going below the belt. I get it. I'm not saying you can necessarily falter for her reaction in that moment. However, that's when Teresa sees red because as we know, the jail situation was not something that she did voluntarily. And she has a lot of resentment and sadness and anger about that. So that's, you know, forget that. But all of this happened before Margaret even said it, which is why that's not an excuse. I don't think, though, that any of it was performative. I don't think Teresa operates like that. You could feel the rage. Like, she comes back upstairs again for more. Like, she is pissed. And something was just so lit up inside of her. And you see Joe and Melissa and Louie in the staircase trying to calm her down because Frankly, they're not even remotely upset because they don't even know what's going on. They just can't believe that Teresa went from zero to 100 so quickly because they didn't even see it coming. Usually, maybe there's a little bit brewing, but this they did not see. They knew she's not happy with Margaret, but they didn't really see it escalating in this way. 
Yeah. I also thought that obviously Melissa immediately goes to comfort her and they leave together. And this is the moment where it's very highlighted how shitty of a position Melissa's in because Margaret's one of her best friends. But she knows that between the two of them, Teresa's the one that's going to give her the issue if she doesn't go with her. And so she also knows that by that same token, Margaret gets it. Like Margaret knows what Melissa is dealing with with Teresa. And she's like, listen, save yourself. Go with her. It's totally fine. But I just feel like these scenes are important to highlight because I find often Melissa kind of gets a bad rap in terms of not defending Teresa. And I'm not saying she does it perfectly the whole time, but clearly she made the choice here. You know, Margaret is one of her best friends. It's not like Margaret's just some random woman on the cast. If Melissa wasn't Teresa's sister-in-law and was just another couple sitting at the table, there's not a doubt in my mind she would be saying, oh my God, Teresa, what a crazy woman. Like that was insane. No one should behave like that. But you're right. She has to play this like a game of chess. And she almost like, you know, when you show up to a party that you don't really want to be at, but you have to show face. Mm -hmm. That is how I feel about Melissa, like following and supporting Teresa. She like literally has to look at Teresa and be like, okay, mental note, checking in with you. I am here. Here I am. Like, make sure you have that written down because I need to get the attendance point for this moment. Like, I need you to remember that I came with you and here I am. And Exactly like you said, Margaret would never say to Melissa, I'm upset you didn't stay with me because she knows that Margaret has more sense and will say, yes, go do what your husband and your sister-in-law need. And I know that in your heart, you agree with me more. Like Melissa isn't saying you're right, Teresa. She's just saying like, calm down, let's mellow out the situation. But she's not she's not encouraging Teresa to continue this behavior and saying, you're totally right. Margaret's the one who's feeding the blogs. Not one person at that table thought that Teresa was right. And I include Joe Gorga and Louie in that and Dolores, even when Dolores was momentarily going to leave. And even if Dolores is never going to come down that hard on Teresa, she still knew that it was wrong. And by the way, did you see that in Dolores's confessional when she was talking about this? She said, Teresa Gorga. And I know it was such a subtle thing, but to me, that's just that was just representative of the fact that like they grew up together. She knows her as Teresa Gorga. She mm-hmm. when when she sees Teresa act in this way, the reason that she's far less phased than anyone else is because she probably saw in her mind that this was going to happen based on the way that she knew Teresa was feeling about Margaret. Like Dolores understands her in a way that none of the other women do, just because of their history together. She probably understands her more closely to how Joe Gorga understands her, you know? Right. It's a more specific dynamic than just two people in a friend group that maybe have loyalty to one another. Absolutely. But I would really like to get into this Dolores thing and get your perspective on it because I feel like we usually think of Dolores in one way, which is very ride or die, very rational, like, you know, level-headed. When really, when you get down to it, she doesn't always stick with what's right or what she thinks is right. She also, I feel, is very afraid of Teresa. Like you said, they have that history. And I do think she has some just loyalty family bond with Teresa where she will never, ever let her go like astray. But I don't in that moment when she is so quick to say, I'm gonna go with them, you know, I came with them, I wanna go downstairs. And Margaret says, Fuck no, you are staying right here. And then even Frank, sort of in a way, I think, to kind of make it easier for Dolores says, No, we're the host, we're staying here. They can go on their own home or do whatever they need to do. And Dolores says, Fine, fine, that's a good way to look at it. But that immediate draw that she felt that she had to go with Teresa or else 
almost like what Melissa feels was really telling. And honestly, for me, a little disappointing because I always think of Dolores as sticking by whoever's on the right side of history. Okay, so my response to that is two parts because on one hand, yes, I do think that historically I view Dolores as being on, quote, the right side of history or somebody that goes with what she feels is more morally sound. However, in response to you saying that you think she's maybe a little bit afraid of Teresa, to me, it's not at all fear. I don't think Dolores is afraid of anyone. I think it's much more the loyalty thing and that in her mind – Sometimes it's hard for her. This is just my thought. I sometimes think it's hard for her to differentiate what's right in the situation and then and then where she has the loyalty because I think a lot of times loyalty maybe comes above what's actually circumstantially correct. And that is what I think is happening here with Teresa. Like and honestly, it goes back to some of the traditional stuff. Like she said, we came with them, we're leaving with them. That's because in her mind, that's just what you do. Dolores is very much somebody who operates by her version of the book, which is the way that she was raised, these traditional values, specifically loyalty to the people that you had in your childhood and whatever rules she has set for herself that she's lived her life by. And so I think that you you see this as a conflict when it's so clear that the situation at hand is not maybe the most loyal thing to do, but it's just the morally sound thing to do. And sometimes when those two are at play together, that's when as the viewer, you're really conflicted because you're seeing that she's conflicted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you stick by family no matter what, thick and thin. Right. So that is very much her mentality for sure. I guess as time goes on and these episodes evolve, I really understand how this reunion got so dark and heavy and what we're about to see. It's so dark. I just know it. I mean, did we already say this when we were at the thing with Dolores and she was charging her phone and she literally said this was the hardest season she's ever had? Yeah. We said that, but also that everyone and Andy included has been saying this was like a really dark, crazy reunion that they filmed. I think we don't even know what we're in for. And I'm trying to think like, okay, is it just – you know, the Teresa Margaret stuff, perhaps. But I, when she, when he said it feels like OG Jersey, I, there obviously that's a loaded statement. Who knows what that means? There's a million things that could be representative of OG Jersey. To me, the, the scariest thing that could happen is that in the moment, Melissa says, fuck it. And she stands up for what she thinks is right with the Margaret thing. And then Teresa just goes off. That oh. would be worst case scenario because obviously that has far longer reaching consequences than just like castmates, their family. So I hope that's not the case, but I can't lie and tell you that that's not where my mind went when Andy said that. It just, it's so frustrating because I I can't imagine how hard that must be for Melissa because me watching from the sidelines is so pissed off and just like, I don't even know. It's just like stuck inside of her. She's literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do I now create huge problems between me and my sister-in-law and my husband and his sister, which is like, you know, they're one and the same, or do I let it slide by? And then I also don't support my friends. And I let these true real best friends who I love more than anything, think that I'm a shitty person and let my sister-in-law walk all over me. It is an impossible situation and so frustrating. And I don't know what the right answer is because in some moments I think like, yeah, stick up for Margaret. The the viewers will all agree with you, but Teresa doesn't care about that. The minute that anything comes out of Melissa's mouth that is in the slightest way the opposite of her perspective or against her, it is, it's over. It's World War III. It's, I'm not speaking to my brother anymore. And then that brings Joe in. And then does that create resentment from Joe to Melissa? Because he's like, oh, why couldn't you just agree with her? It, it, 
it's an impossible situation and it actually gives me like hives to think about. No, it is. And I'm not trying to downplay that because clearly it sucks. The one saving grace here is that the friends at play know Teresa so well that they can understand it. You know, like I I genuinely think that Margaret, Jack, whoever the person is, doesn't personalize it enough to think that it's Melissa being a shitty friend. I think that they get what it's like to be Teresa Judice's sister-in-law. So that's the one thing that Melissa really has on her side, that her friends understand who she's dealing with. Imagine if this was the situation, but the friends didn't have as intimate of an understanding of Teresa as they did. They'd be like, fuck you. Well, that's what's great for Melissa is that she has these friends who understand the logistics like, and love her enough on a deeper level far past the show that I'm sure behind closed doors, what I would do to hear... Melissa, Jackie, and Margaret having a girls' wine night off camera, hear the shit that they say. I mean, and also for Melissa to be trusting enough with them to say, they won't throw this in my face eventually if for some reason we get on bad terms because that's also a slippery slope. Yes, yes. There's a lot of dynamics at play, which by the way, (sighs) unrelated. Wait, unrelated to any of this, I really want to watch the Julia Hart Watch What Happens Live episode. I know it's happening while we're recording this, which is why we can't watch it, but I'm like fascinated by any of this. And, and I just saw a clip and I really am I just saw that she's that. talking about the money situation. Is she said, quote, I've never taken a dollar that doesn't belong to me. <gasps> That's going to be good. You think Andy's priming her to be on New York Housewives? No, you think? I don't know. It's been thrown around many a time. I storied that when we were watching the show before like anything. And I thought, this is the kind of woman we want to see. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know either. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Hmm. Makes you think. Makes you think. <laughs> Anything else that you would like to mention? No, that is it. I got to go back to watching Katie and Tom's Bachelor Bachelorette party in New Orleans. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's that's incredibly timely, I would say. I know. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. And Julie and I will see you later this week for Kardashian Recap. Cannot wait. Cannot wait.